This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Peter denies, mockery and the council, Jesus before Pilate, Jesus before Herod, and not this man but Barabbas. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. O Lord, have mercy on us. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. To the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is our text. Dear friends in Christ, the architectural beauty of the CTS campus is matched by an artistic plan under the theme of the ancient church's hymn, the Te Deum Laudamus, which we will sing after the homily. 
Wood, metal, fabric, and stone are joined in various works of art around the campus, inviting all who step on the campus to rejoice in the beauty of God's creation as it points to the saving work of Christ. Among those original works of art is a combination of bas-relief and mosaic on the south wall of the dining hall. By carving into the whitewashed rectangular bricks, St. Louis artisan William Severson was able to create a captivating image of the saints gathered together, singing their prayers and praises to God. A pattern of colored plastic, enameled copper, and stained glass chips in the center of the image take the shape of a loaf of bread. In the final design of the library expansion, two towers of white washed brick were erected next to that grand staircase that connects the first of those two lanterns to the collections below. These towers served as the canvas for a new work of art created by Fort Wayne artisan William Lupkin. In form, this new work of art was inspired by the carved relief in the dining hall. In theme, this work builds upon Christ, the everlasting Son of the Father, represented in the original mosaic at the entryway to the library, where the incarnate Christ is holding the Bible with the Greek letters Alpha and Omega inscribed upon its open pages. The new work, as many of you know from tours and taking parents even through this past week, begins at the bottom of the staircase with Christ and continues with images depicting the foundation of the law and the prophets, as well as the apostolic witness on the first column. The second column begins with Luther nailing the 95 Theses and Martin Chemnitz holding a book of Concord. This biblical and confessional identity is received and handed on to our seminary founders, Leah, Kramer, Seeler, and Winniken, who in turn handed on to you, our students, diaconal, international, and pastoral, as the seminary goes about its work of forming servants in Jesus Christ. In its wholeness, this work captures the transmission of the word through the ages, providing a fitting image of the role of a theological library and a theological faculty. Our text from 1 Corinthians 15 expresses that role with two words that we translate as received and delivered, the reception and the transmission of the gospel. These words are technical terms for the handing on of religious instruction. They would have been familiar to Paul from his days as a rabbinical student. For I delivered to you, Paul writes, as of first importance what I also received. Whom did Paul receive it from? Well, he tells us in other places that it was from the Lord himself. Jesus appeared to him and taught him what the gospel was. In the opening words of Paul in the letter to the Galatians, he says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself delivered it to him, and what was delivered by Paul, by the words and lips of Jesus, he passed on to these Corinthians. And they received it, they believed it, they accepted the one of whom it spoke, and thus they became Christians. Paul now says, here is what that word is. He reminds them of what he has preached to them. What is of first importance? 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Words that form the heart of the Apostles' Creed, which summarized the faith and the gospel for early Christians. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That is the first important element. Isn't it amazing that he does not mention a word about the whole life of Jesus? He passes over the marvelous birth in a cave in Bethlehem, through the silent years at Nazareth, all the journeying up and down the hillsides of Judea and Galilee, all the marvel of his teaching and his miracles, and comes quickly and immediately to his death. And even here, he does not simply say, Christ died. Ask people today what the gospel is, and this is often what they will say. Well, Jesus lived and died. No, that is not the gospel. Everyone believes that Christ died. If you look at any of the modern presentations of the life of Christ, such as one of my generation, Jesus Christ Superstar, or one of your generation, the Passion of Christ, you will find that they all end with the death of Jesus. Every humanistic philosophy today accepts the fact that Jesus died, but there is no good news in that. The good news is Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. This is the good news, that his death accomplished something for us. It delivered us, it set us free. The second important element of the gospel, according to Paul, is that Jesus not only died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, predicted, anticipated, and fulfilled in the cross, but he was also buried. Why does Paul include the burial of Jesus? Is it not enough that Jesus died and rose again? Would that not be good news enough? Well, surely the reason for it is that when his disciples came and took the body of Jesus down from the cross, it marked their acceptance of the fact of his death. Did you ever realize how hard it was for them to accept the fact that he died? They did not want to believe it when he himself told them what he was going to do. They refused, they shut their minds to it. When it actually happened, they went away stunned and unbelieving, agonizing and unwilling to believe that all their hopes and dreams, all they had built up in those marvelous years with him should come crashing down and become nothing but empty hopes, empty dreams. We hear that in the Maya story, that's our gospel for the week. But somewhere along the line on that Friday, someone came to their senses and faced up to it and said, we have to go get his body and bury him. Joseph of Arimathea came forward and offered a tomb and with loving hands they took down his body from the tree. They wrapped it in a linen cloth and they placed him in a tomb where he lay for three days and three nights. There is no question that the disciples, to the disciples, that he was dead. In their minds, there was no doubt about it. They could have never entertained any idea that he had merely fainted on the cross or entered into a coma, for they themselves had performed the burial service. This marked the acceptance of the disciples that Jesus was truly dead. So Paul leads us to a third important element, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Once again, he fulfilled the predictions. It was anticipated that he would die. It was equally anticipated that he would rise again from the dead. The Old Testament said so. 
On the third day, to the amazement of the disciples, he fulfilled those predictions. He was not merely resuscitated, that is, coming back to life after he had, as he had been before. He was resurrected. That means he came back to a life he had never lived before, a glorified life. And yet, in the amazing mystery of the resurrection, the same Jesus with the wounds in his body that they could touch and feel and see for themselves. The appearances that Paul catalogs testify to Jesus' resurrection, even as his burial testifies to his death. But to preach to the end of our pericope this morning is much more than we can do in a homily. It's much more fitting for a Sunday morning sermon. So that, this morning, is the story of the gospel, three basic facts. These are not philosophies. These are not ideas that men have had about what God should be like. These are simple facts that occurred in history that cannot be eliminated or evaded. These facts have changed the history of the world. Our faith does not rest merely upon philosophy, but on the facts that have occurred and cannot be taken away from us. That is the gospel as Paul gave it to the Corinthians. These facts about Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And these facts are a picture of how God works in each of us. Luther teaches us about this in the small catechism under baptism when he asks, what does baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. With Paul, I would remind you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, of the gospel taught to you in the classroom and preached to you in this chapel, which you've received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Hold fast to this gospel and take it forth into the field into which the Lord has placed you or will place you and deliver it there for the life of those in your care. Christ is risen. We rise for the Te Deum.
of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people, rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Jesus Christ, you gather your church throughout the world. Guide your Christian congregations to seek the good of those around them, desiring their salvation with us. Strengthen those congregations who receive new pastors, that they may welcome them with joy and humility. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Oh, oh, oh.